You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Thanks for tuning in. 2-0, Grump. Our Orlando Apollos are 2-0. Uh, the, the brightest news we've had on this podcast since ever. <laughs> well, we're not going to go into our long soliloquies like we did last week, but uh, I will say kudos to Steve Spurrier for uh, you know knocking on Tennessee any chance he can. Oh, I was wondering if you caught that. Of course I did. He was talking, they had a post-game interview, and they asked him what it was like with the crowd noise in San Antonio. It was like, well, it's almost as loud as it is at Rocky Top, <laughs> but, the, but the swamp is still a little louder. So so it's a nice way of uh, praising us and smacking them at the same time. So uh, if you want more uh, Florida Gator you know, accolades and tributes, check out my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we talk all things Florida Gator. But that's that's for another day. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're going to... We're going to dive into quarterbacks this week. It's uh, probably the thing that's most talked about on Giants Twitter for probably the last two years, three years maybe. Um, so I know this is something that a lot of people probably would be interested in. Um, and, you know, as long as we do this show, you know, as long as this podcast episode is, it may still not be enough for me to fully describe my opinions and you know the cranky fan can probably feel the same way so i am probably going to elaborate throughout the week on each individual person that we talk about on twitter so be sure to follow me there at at football underscore grump yeah i think before we even start breaking down the current roster of quarterbacks and who's available via free agency trade or the draft i think we kind of need to set reasonable expectations for where the Giants are in 2019, what we think ownership and the GM want to do on the short-term basis based upon what's available. I think once we start level setting, then we can kind of make some reasonable expectations and analysis of who's out there and what's reasonable for the Giants to get. I mean, the facts are, uh, Grump, we still have Eli Manning under contract for one more year and unless a free agent kind of falls into our lap who's ready to start on day one and they want to make that clean break for Eli, Eli is our starting quarterback next year. Yeah, I have to agree. And, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people shrug, sigh, maybe already shut off the episode when you say that. But, <laughs> you know, that's not – you know, when, when you inherit a, a team that's in the gutter, which is what this team was last year, you have to think about the short term and the long term. And uh, just because Eli is the quarterback, the starter for game one next year, does not mean that he's in the plans, that he's the best option in the world, or that they think very highly of him. You know, you know, these things are irrelevant. You have to bridge the gap. You know, you have to, you have to make things work. All the time we see things like, the Los Angeles Rams drafted Jared Goff, but he didn't play for a whole year. Case Keenum started. You know, 
uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes played Patrick Mahomes. Alex yeah. Smith for a full year. You know, these are draft situations. You know, I, I'm sure you could make the case for a young free agent as well, the same situations. But, you know, even – and uh, this, this is probably stretching it, but Baker Mayfield started behind Terod Taylor. It's he just, did. That was the, the original plan. He just you know, beat him out in, in preseason. It just takes time to get these things right. And you do more harm than good throwing a quarterback into a shit situation. And I'll give you a case in point. My number one quarterback last year was Josh Rosen. And given the bullshit team that Steve Wilkes had assembled when he got there, it would have behooved him to sign somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh McCown, some other ex-Jet. Any of the retreads that have been floating around, around the league for the last five, six years who just randomly show up on your Sunday ticket. Yeah, and it's Any not because you think that they're better. It's that with their experience and their comfort playing in the NFL, they can make do with an awful offensive line like one good wide receiver, a defense that's still coming together under a new system. I mean, all these things. Instead, you throw Josh Rosen out there, and the poor kid got killed week after week. And, you know, that can ruin a dude's confidence. It can certainly ruin his development. It could permanently damage him. And and now what is your investment? Your investment is damaged. So when we say this about Eli Manning, what – what we aren't saying is that he's the best option. They should stick with him. It's just the best option for the situation that they're in. And it doesn't have to be because he starts week one next year that he starts week 17 next year. And Grump, we also live in a salary cap world. I mean, the guy is going to get a, is a $23.2 million cap hit next year, 6.2 million in dead cap. I mean, they're, they're just, if, if anything, what they more likely will do is sign him to a one-year extension and kind of spread that money out a little bit. I mean, people that just start, you know, the casual Giant fan, you know, the the ignoramus who seems to sit around us all the time at Giant games is going to freak out when if that does happen. But budgeting money and, and using your cap money is what separates this league, the long-term successful teams from the ones that think they're playing fantasy football. And, you know, there are other considerations better than just who's the best player right now and gives us the quote-unquote best chance to win. So, you know, again, barring something shocking happen, uh, he's going to be our starter in week one. And, and again, that's not a bad thing. So where should we start? Well, let's talk about the rest of the roster. I mean, are we ready to write off Kyle Aletta as a short, and long-term solution for this team? I mean, is he, you know, you know, he was inactive the last couple of games of the year after being active for two, playing in one, being dreadful. I mean, granted, small sample size, but he went back to being inactive. Now, that might be something they just felt he wasn't ready last year to play, but I don't necessarily think that means they've given up on him at some point for some value in this organization. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I I don't think they've given up on him and I don't think they should. Uh, You know, the leap that he's making in competition and uh, what's expected of him, it's tremendous. Uh, 
I think because we see some, you know, just freaks, natural gods, uh, we forget that that's not normal, that people just come into the league and are able to play at a good uh, level. Um, I don't think they're writing him off. I, I've had my doubts about him from day one based on the tape that I saw of him in college. Uh, but I mean, there are definitely positive traits that I think they can build around and, you know, perhaps he's a stopgap solution. Do I think he's the long-term answer? Me personally? Uh, no. No, no. But you know, something, is he somebody that if they, you know, they don't draft a quarterback, they decide to go, you know, pass rusher in the first round or even in the first couple of rounds, they don't get that, you know, that middling free agent as a stopgap this year can he play three four or five games if eli gets hurt i mean again eli is now 30 how old is he now 37 37 38 38. he's 38 i mean we've been you know knocking on wood how healthy he's been his entire career but you know that could change on a dime so i guess the decision has to be made you know do they have enough confidence that he can be an emergency guy to play a couple games and if he's not you know, getting to this point, you know, what's his value on the roster? Well, um, I mean, anytime you're thinking about that, I, I'd say you are in worst case scenario situation. And, you know, if you are in a position to do well in when your starting quarterback goes down, whether you're transitioning away from him or not, um, then you were already in a good place for the end of the season anyway. So, you know what I mean? Like, should Eli go down and they've completely not addressed the quarterback situation, then they're screwed. Sure. Um, But that would also probably mean that they're in a bad position next year if they don't do something to address it now. Yeah. Well, something I've talked about, I think it was before even the playoffs started, was my uh, bold prediction that one scenario is they just take these draft picks and they roll them over to next year and try to get it, you know, a high draft pick and go for a, a better class. I mean, we have, you know, Jake Fromm coming out next year, Tua coming out next year. There's a lot of talent coming out where you could ha- see a couple of potential franchise quarterbacks. So a lot of fans are like, it has to happen right now or it's never going to happen. You have to, you know, the pool of quarterbacks forever is based on this draft and this free agency class. That's not the way, you know, GMs think. And if, you know, they want to position themselves to have a, a high draft pick next year, be it if we suck again or if we use some draft capital to have a good spot for next year. Don't be surprised if that happens. Yeah. Um, I, I would think that should it come down to Kyle Oletta, you know, you would hope that the least you can get out of a fourth round pick is the ability to not be dreadful when needed. Um I can't speak to that, obviously. The last time I saw him play was for five snaps, and before that was never. I mean, I've only seen tape from college. It's not like I was watching Richmond games. So uh, <laughs> I don't think people in Richmond were watching Richmond games. Yeah. So, you know, you'd hope that, that should the situation arise where the Giants do nothing uh, to address the quarterback situation this offseason, uh, that he can survive – four to eight games. Um, but it, it's, it's strictly on a hope. I, we, you know, us as fans, we we're not coaches. We don't get to see him play. 
Yeah, and one other thing too, we should we should mention that Alex Tanney is a restricted free agent this Correct. year. He made yeah. five hundred fifty thousand was his cap hit last year. Um, he, you know, again, is the emergency guy. But do they want to keep two of these guys, you know, going forward next year? I mean, I guess in theory, you would hope that uh, Laletta has made enough progress going through an off-season program and training camp where he should be the number two. Um, if he can't beat out someone like Tanny or a similar, you know, journeyman who's been in the league for nine years and had nine snaps, a guy like that, you have to start wondering if that's a wasted draft pick. Yeah. So. I, I agree. And um, so, hopefully the Giants aren't rolling with the same three quarterbacks they did last year. If you haven't upgraded one of those three, then um, – I would say that that would be a failure to completely dismiss the quarterback situation. Uh, yeah. I, I believe last week you listed the quarterback as the number five on top five biggest positions of need, right? I said, yeah, I said the long-term answer. I yeah. said it was the fifth one. I said, you know, thinking about all the other needs this team has, I wouldn't be reaching for a quarterback thinking you're going to satisfy it if you're not completely comfortable with that option because I thought there were bigger immediate needs on this team. I agree. So since free agency starts before the draft, um, the Giants can address this, and they probably should address this in some way, shape, or form before the draft even starts. Uh, so, you know, there's a couple of free agent options out there. Um, probably the most notably, the most sought-after quarterback free agent, now that Joe Flacco has been traded to Denver. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time I hear that, I just have to impulsively laugh. I mean, you know, laugh though you may, you know, Nick Foles and Joe Flacco are both Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and Super Bowl MVPs. Now, whether those are outlier seasons or a far cry from what they current are, you could make that argument. But you could also make the argument that, you know, maybe they just weren't in a position to win. I, I, I don't know. But nevertheless, that does push Nick Foles up to be the most highly sought after free agent quarterback, right? Yeah, I mean, talking about Case Keenum, which makes me laugh. Uh, I'm sorry, not Case Keenum. Um, Joe Flacco, which makes me laugh, is that you're not just getting a player in his decline of his career. You're mm -hmm. getting someone who, for another three years, has cap hits of over $20 million a year. Well, that's a rough contract, yeah. That's that's what kind of makes me laugh. I mean, if you're just, you know, if this was Major League Baseball and you were just trading for a pitcher, not worrying about salary, eh, I could see maybe give you know, a second opportunity, a second life somewhere to start fresh, get away from Baltimore. But damn, that cap number, that is an anchor. And you're not getting someone on the ascendancy of his career. I mean, that Super Bowl was a while ago. 2012, I think, right? Yeah, we're talking like... Colin Kaepernick days. <laughs> well, you're talking almost the same amount of time as saying, well, Eli's a Super Bowl MVP, let's get him. Just about. Granny's older, but still. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about Nick Foles and what we think is gold and what we think is fool's gold. I think Nick Foles is somewhere in between fool's gold and gold. I think, you know, there's something to be said for how a team rallies and plays around a quarterback. I think, you know, there's something to be said for how well he's played against better quality competition in the playoffs, you know, the last couple of years, you know, and, and, and down the stretch in December games. Um, is he a franchise quarterback worthy of the 20 million or whatever he'll get? I don't think so, but I don't think it was just like a flash in the pan all of a sudden, you know, 
like last year's three game run through the Super Bowl kind of, you know, is defining his career. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, one of the things that always strikes me about Nick Foles or definitely struck me about Nick Foles in the last two years, including this this uh, playoff season where they very nearly, you know, continued the ride. But it's his uh, it's his confidence, you know, his his ability to stay cool when things are on the line. I mean, all those games, they were with the exception of probably the Super Bowl, they were kind of on their heels and he really shouldered the load, stayed cool and made things happen. Uh, you know, that is an intangible quality that you just can't teach, you know, it it just comes with either experience or just, you know, your natural character. And uh obviously there's enough to work with there for him to understand understand his scheme read defenses and execute plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you a question. If you were the Eagles GM and you had the decision of which quarterback you would keep, who would that be? I would have to say that I'm sticking with Carson Wentz, but I am seriously worried about who the backup is. I mean, now you're in a situation where Nick Foles is going to command too much money, but Carson Wentz has the same intangibles I think that uh Nick Foles has. I think he has better tools and I think he's still on the the upswing. But given the injury history that he he's also cheap. He's cheap as dirt. So he's making uh his eight point four million dollar cap hit this year. He is a free agent after two thousand nineteen, so a decision has to be made about him. Precisely, yeah. So I, I'm seriously thinking uh, about who I have backing him up, whether it's a contingency plan or if the injuries continue to pop up for Carson Wentz. Uh, mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I'm still going to roll with Wentz over Foles because I, I don't think you make a good team by paying as much money as uh, they would be into one position. Yep, I got you. Makes sense. So... We're we're talking about for us. I mean, obviously, I don't think we have the cap space even to get him if we wanted um, Nick Foles, right? We're not spending twenty million dollars on a quarterback. I mean, there's ways to to free up cap space. It's not that it's not out of que- out of the the realm of possibility that some cap space is freed to to make a a move that you want to make. But based on all the needs that this team has, I would say would be unwise. Yeah, and we're not a quarterback away from. You know, competing for a conference final or a Super Bowl. Well, certainly not if you're going to be cutting out money to make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, cap is not something I'm really too worried about if it's a guy they think is worth pursuing because there's ways to free up cap. Um, but again, you know, if if this were a team that truly, you know, really battled almost just barely missed the playoffs but had a great defense and a strong running game and – you know, they, they have Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard, and it really just seems like it was the quarterback, then sure, yeah, free up some money, figure it out, but that's not or the if, case. Or if we're a team like Jacksonville, that was just a quarterback away from, yeah. you know, in 2018 or 2017, you know, potentially winning a Super Bowl, a playoff team that, you know, obviously needs a quarterback, and we're not that either. Yeah, no. So, you know, Nick Foles, is he an upgrade at this point? Yeah, probably. Um, is he basically unattainable for this team? Yeah, probably. I think so. Yeah. Um, 
I think the more intriguing name is probably Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, let's start this discussion by dismissing the one game we all saw him play. You know, and was it week 17 or week 16 where he looked awful? But again, you're talking about a game where, you know, New Orleans already had the season, you know, their 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 playoff position clinched. They had a lot of backups playing. You know, they may have been playing 85% speed. So let's dismiss that altogether and focus more on, you know, the medical records and seeing is he 100% healthy and, you know, ready to be a starting quarterback in this league again. Well, yeah, I mean, how much does it worry you? Uh it worries me because I have not seen him back at 100% playing, you know, for any time. You know, he, um, you know, after that, that injury, again, I'm dismissing the one game he looked bad, but I also haven't seen him play. Well, he looked pretty say, good when he was with the Jets, which I believe was simply preseason. Or what, I was yeah. just pre, that was just preseason. And that really, again, I'm not going to, I'm, if I'm going to dismiss one game of looking bad, I'm going to dismiss a preseason game of looking good. Okay. You know, again, for that money that's probably going to need to, to get him. I want to see somebody playing and playing at a certain level. And right now to me, it's just a complete crapshoot. Well, yeah, you know, with a, a 26 year old, that's a, a free agent is probably going to command some, some serious dough. More um, for, yeah, a little bit more than I want to risk. I think he's more of a risk. I, you know, I would love in a perfect world that we go from one franchise quarterback to another franchise quarterback. Uh, the amount of money I think that, as I mentioned before, he's going to command, it's still too much of a risk for me. I don't think he's a franchise quarterback anymore uh, because of the injury and all the time he's lost. And I, you know, just because it's kind of like a left tackle where you're going to overspend for a left tackle. I think just because it's a quarterback out there, you're going to overspend. And if I'm going to overspend, I don't, I don't want the risk that he may never be what he was. And let's be honest, he wasn't a Pro Bowl quarterback when he got hurt. He was, you know, he was a rookie of the year quarterback. Yeah, but he was, you know, up and coming, but he wasn't one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so, in the middle somewhere. You know, he, he had ceiling, but is that ceiling now lowered because of his injury? It's totally right. possible. Right. So I'm gonna pass. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. He's. I would rather kick myself for playing it safe with something like that than, uh kick myself for not you know for for passing up on Aaron Rodgers tumbling through the draft. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or passing up on someone who was uh you know what was the year Reggie Bush was everybody thought it was me number one and, and they drafted the Texans drafted uh uh Mario Williams. That's it. Yeah. I mean I that's something where you kick yourself where you know you have an obvious guy like Reggie Bush and all of a sudden you draft Mario Edwards instead, and all of a sudden Reggie Bush becomes, you know, a generational quarter uh, running back. So I, that's something you kick yourself a little more. This one, I think, if he does have a nice career somewhere else, you know, he relatively beat the odds, and you just tip your hat to the team that took a shot at him. I kind of like some more sure things in my life, so I'm going to pass. Um, unfortunately, Foles and Bridgewater really make up the bulk of the free agent talent pool. I mean, what we're really left with after that is Case Keenum and Terod Taylor. Oof. Yeah. I mean, I, well, the one thing about Case Keenum that's kind of interesting is he did work with Pat Shermer in Minnesota. 
Yeah. So that that you know that got him a nice contract in Denver. So, um, but again, is that just a lightning in a bottle? Perfect situation, perfect time, or you know, is it just you know, is he kind of one of those fringy, super sub, poor starting quarterbacks? I tend to think that's what he is. I could go for a super sub right now. Um, <laughs> you know, by the way, we're assuming that Case Keenum gets released um, based on the Joe Flacco trade at some point. Um, I just can't see that team holding over forty something million dollars and have space on two quarterbacks that are <laughs> maybe make up one arm <laughs> yeah yeah it's very strange uh, you know something i guess if you win two super bowls 25 years ago you get immunity for every dumb decision you make i mean i think you get some leeway when you won one a couple years ago <laughs> i guess so but i <laughs> uh but i i can't say i understand or agree it with it yeah um, they didn't win. They didn't win that Super Bowl because of Peyton Manning. No, they didn't. <laughs> uh, to Rod Taylor, interesting thought. Um, I would say I wouldn't be totally against Terod Taylor if that's supposed to be the upgrade over Alex Tanny or Kyle Valletta, right? Well, if that's the case, then you better pay him accordingly. Then yeah, I don't want. I don't want to see a. A ten million dollar contract for somebody that, to me, is really—he's a type of quarterback. When you have such a bad offensive line and you have no, you know, skill position guys that make things happen, you need a quarterback to make things happen on his own. And then I, as much as we blasted the offensive line, I think there's been enough upgrade in it that we don't need that type of quarterback to make something out of nothing. So I, I don't see. I, to me, he's always just a guy that's like, he's a placeholder. You know, maybe if Buffalo, when he was with Buffalo, you know, got a number one pick and got a franchise quarterback, he'd replace him. He gets to Cleveland. He got hurt. Didn't make a great well for them. He never got the job back. Yeah. So. Um, but then again, you know, I, 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 I agree that Terod Taylor is not a starting quarterback. Um, but I would also say neither is Kyle Oletta and neither is Alex Tanney. And I would say that he at least possesses something resembling a starting quarterback. Tyrod Taylor more comfortable with Taylor coming in with, you know, Eli is out or whomever is out for four games with a high ankle sprain or something, whatever. Um, I I I feel okay with that. So he's going to be 30 years old this year. Uh He's going, he made 16 million in the cap last year. Too much, too much. So let's say, you know, is he going to take 10? Is that his market? And if that's the case, I, I'm not paying $10 million for a guy we just said, is he an upgrade over Kyle Oletta or Alex Tanney? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. To see, it, it's really going to depend on what his market is. And the reason why is because, you know, as we're about to go over, this is not a... Um, a deep quarterback class. Yeah, I mean, if, if <laughs> every year, uh, the the quarterback class is sort of like... Hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> and uh, we're not talking about Jamarcus Russell. No. Oh. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what's thrown on the board. The teams are just going to eat it up. And that's sort of what quarterbacks are. The, the quarterback class is like, and it's like that every year. Um, 
So teams panic. Teams panic. They're like, I need to get the quarterback, and the quarterbacks, you know, they may have them lower rated on their boards early on, but as you get closer and closer to April, it's like they talk themselves into it. They, everybody talks themselves into, you know, not the guys that are on the high on the board in the beginning. There's somebody right now, you know. It happens more often than not. We'll be drafted ahead of uh, uh, Haskins just because that late pre-draft period momentum elevates. Remember, we haven't had the combine yet. We haven't had them running around their undies just yet. So, yeah, and, and Case Keenum is probably a really good example of that, right? I mean, does he really deserve the contract that he got from Denver? No. Well, I mean, when you're if you're an available quarterback and people start to panic, you overspend. It's a little intriguing with the Pat Shermer connection. Uh, I'm gonna pass as well. I mean, again, these guys are just kind of they're kind of very expensive stopgap guys, and I don't think we need a stopgap guy. We we have one already, an expensive stopgap guy. Same as Eli Manning. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's the free agent well, though. I mean, I think that's everybody, right? Yeah, this is not a uh, – there's no – I mean, Foles, I guess, is the marquee guy. And, yeah, I mean, again, a little more of the shine on him is because of one particular instance than a, a collective body of work. But uh, I, I, I don't think we're going to see the Giants move – a quarterback in the free agent market. So I, I think we need to move on to uh, what everybody's been talking about and analyzing and, you know, prophesizing for the last six months. And that's the draft. Yeah. And they're, they're in prime real estate now to get somebody. Should they like somebody uh, drafting number six, they're not in a great spot to get the top guy. Now I'm going to say this off the bat. There's no Andrew luck in this draft. Um Yes. Now, before those of you remaining listening, which is, <laughs> hi, mom, uh, you know, before you shut this off, that doesn't mean there aren't good guys in this draft or guys that I think will be successful in the NFL. It just, there's no Andrew Luck. There's no, I can there's tell no... you, you know, January 2nd that he's going to go first in the draft. That, that right. guy doesn't exist here. And we talk about a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer of who to draft, not a no-brainer that they will be a franchise quarterback. It's you know something, if the opportunity to draft an Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning, you take them if they're available. Yes. You, know, you don't have the, abil- the ability of hindsight to say, well, good thing I drafted Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf. Because at the time, there was a very serious debate on which one you took. So we'll start with Dwayne Haskins because he's the he's the um, the butter on the toast, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I look at quarterbacks coming out of college, I look at a number of things. They are not all created equal, but they are all important. I look at size, uh, mechanics and pocket presence, mobility, accuracy, arm strength, decision making scheme and any intangibles that I can see. Um, when it comes to Dwayne Haskins, he checks a lot of boxes. Okay. He's got good size. He's six, three, 220 pounds ish. I mean, we haven't had the benefit of a combined weigh in yet. So these are all probably inflated numbers, but 
you know, I, I never really buy a lot of that with the weight because these guys bulk up for the combine anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, six three two twenty though he he's a good size quarterback. Pocket presence. Um, for a one year starter in college, he has pretty decent awareness of what's going on around him. Uh, you know, his footwork is pretty clean. It's not perfect. It could use work, um, especially when he needs to climb in the pocket, I've noticed. But his mechanics are pretty good. And what that does is it leads to having maybe the strongest arm in the draft. He certainly has – and when I say strong arm, I don't mean how far downfield can he throw because that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But – there's only yeah. so many go routes that you're going to be throwing in the Can NFL. you throw a 20 yard out on the dime? Yeah, it's it's really about the zip on the ball is what I'm looking at. And when I say that, the perfect comparison is Kyle Oletta because one of my biggest criticisms and the main reason why I think he will never become a long-term solution anywhere is that there's just no zip. He's throwing rainbows, which, you know, in the NFL, free safeties have the speed to cover ground. And if the, the longer the ball is in the air, the most wide open guy in the world, it will become a contested catch at worst, uh, or I guess at best. So he's got tremendous zip. And uh, a lot of that has to do with his mechanics and his size and just, you know, raw ability. Where I start to lose a little bit with Haskins is his accuracy. He's not an inaccurate quarterback, but... Even times where he's got guys wide open and he throws a touchdown, it's not – I mean, you're looking at a guy who's got nobody in coverage and they're they're catching balls, you know, around their knees, uh, you know, kind of having to catch up to it, slow down to it. His accuracy, you know, it, it's not what – it's not his strongest trait. And it's certainly, in my opinion, accuracy is the most important quarterback trait. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't typically make bad decisions. Uh, he comes from a scheme where he's mostly out of the shotgun, which, you know, at this point is pretty typical. Um, but I mean, he checks a lot of boxes. I think ideally Dwayne Haskins, while I think he made the right decision for himself coming out this year and not having to compete with Herbert from and Tua, uh, he will still have to sit. It, it, the right team, a smart team, takes Dwayne Haskins and they don't throw him in a situation because I think he could really benefit from working with an NFL coach, working behind an NFL starter, and uh, getting getting quality reps. Um, you know, the, the one thing I always look at for accuracy is I always like to compare college accuracy to high school accuracy. Mm-hmm. You know, do you see, like, is this something where, you know, are they trending up? Were they never accurate and, and they remain not accurate? And I'm looking at his numbers. He was a 59.2% accurate, you know, completion percentage in high school. That's not fantastic either. Mm-hmm. So it's something where, so to me, it's just like you kind of are with you are with accuracy. You know, you can always build up arm strength. You can build up, you know, technique for an arm, you know, to develop more, more zip, but you kind of are what you are as a quarterback and how accurate you are. So yeah. that's not the most exciting, you know, percentage you've seen, you know, is it alarming? You know, again, 
I agree with you that accuracy is very important, but it's not the only thing. And, it, you know, based upon presence and all this, you know, smarts, how fast they pick up an offense, all these different things. So um, there are no perfect quarterbacks in this draft, like you mentioned. And, you know, those can't miss targets coming along once every five years. Um, the question is going to be, you know, is this the guy that Gettleman wants? And I certainly think he's a guy that Gettleman can develop. Uh, you know, his accuracy, like you said, he. this is part of the disservice that he's had is, you know, you just brought up his high school numbers. That's because he doesn't have a previous year in college. So, I mean, well, I is that, that a fair comparison? Probably not. I mean, I, again, you're doing the right thing by watching the trend of his numbers, right? But, yeah. I mean, high school football and college football, I mean, he's, he's now playing at Ohio State with – you know, in the Big Ten against real competition with real players around him. Uh, you know, in high school, I, I don't know what he was playing with, but. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's one thing you can say. Accuracy is, a, you know, does it really matter who you're playing for accuracy as much? Well, it, it matters if your teammates suck. Yeah, I guess. I mean, balls are bouncing off their hands, but, the, you know, these guys are playing it pretty elite level schools in high school. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what you're bringing up or saying, I'm saying that that that's part of the disservice and in him being a one year starter. I mean, the other thing is why couldn't he beat out who, who is it? Braxton Miller. Who was before him? You know, Iowa state has a long run of shitty quarterbacks. That's not a knock against him, but why he couldn't, well, whoa, 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 whoa. I wouldn't. I mean, they're shitty quarterbacks in respect of being NFL prospect quarterbacks, but they are still elite level college quarterbacks. Yes, I, mean, I, I agree with that. But now you're talking about the guy who seems to be the number one in the draft class. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think that somewhere along the line that he would be better than, you know what I mean? Or at least if he didn't start, that's fine. But I mean, have some showing, you know. Uh, I mean, JT Barrett, he played JT for Barrett, what yeah. he, he started for three years. Uh, he got Harry Cardell Jones played the one year Braxton Miller before. I mean, I mean, JT Barrett won. he won a national title, I believe in 2014. I believe he did, but I mean, Barrett, was that Barrett? I thought or was that, was, that Car- or, or was that when Barrett Cardell got Jones. hurt? Cardell Jones, Cardell Jones won it. Yeah. But you know, you're talking about a guy that played an elite level for Ohio state for a couple of years. So, you know, but may not have had that skill set that translates to the NFL. So I, I, I don't like to use that. Well, he couldn't beat out the guy before. Why isn't he good enough? It's everything is different. The college game is different than the pro game too. And, you know, we're talking about an urban Meyer offense, which is not a pro style offense. I think I mean, that's, that's really more the thing. Uh, yeah, it's got a lot th- of you know, spread option, you know, spread um, you know, components to it. So, I would say that Dwayne Haskins is a mobile guy. He can move around pretty well, fluidly. You know, he doesn't look like a like like a bumbling idiot out there. But I would not say that he is a running quarterback. So I'd say he's a willing, a willing runner, not a running quarterback. Exactly. Or if he, if he has to, he can move around, but I don't think they're, you know, they're not designing 15 to 20 rushing attempts for him in a game. I mean, which is the urban Meyer kind of offense. 
pretty much if they have a right and that's why you've never seen you know an obvious first overall pick come out you know, from Ohio State where you have that stereotypical 6-4-220 drop back quarterback because he's looking for a guy who is a dual threat whether it's somebody who's really quick and speedy you know like a Braxton Miller or a bull running you know through people like a Tim Tebow mm-hmm. so you know, again, it's it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison going from college to the pros. Now, yeah. the question will be to me is, you know, there's two questions. One, does Gettleman think that's his guy? And two, how desperate are the other teams in the league who think that he is the guy and will make a move up? Um, yeah, I, I don't think that Dwayne Haskins is going to be an option for the Giants at six. I mean, we can look at it on face value of the, the teams drafting ahead of us. You know, Arizona does not need a quarterback. San Francisco does not need a quarterback. The Jets do not need a quarterback. Oakland, eh, they don't need a quarterback. The Bucks, I think, are still all in on Jameis Winston. So now you're talking the Giants at six. So with the five teams drafting ahead of them, the Giants are in the biggest need of a quarterback. However, you know, Jacksonville is lingering at seven. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, mean, I would even say that Oakland is is pretty close. You know, John Gruden yeah. has shown now that he's going to, and I think that he is a Gruden type guy. Could see that, yeah. But Gruden is also very brutal on rookie quarterbacks too. Yeah. So, um, I let me ask you a question, Grump. Would you trade up to go to four to get him? Oof. I I mean, remember the Giants do have extra draft picks this year. Yeah, but, I mean, what you have to trade away, you know, the draft picks they have are in the lower mid-rounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you would have to trade away, you're really looking at next year's picks. Right. And when I when I see that, you know, when you're talking about trading away next year's picks – you can kind of equate it to, and this isn't a perfect scenario, a perfect comparison, but you can kind of equate it to you're trading away a chance at Tua, from or Herbert. Right, and that's kind of where I go back to my theory that they are waiting for next year. Yeah. That I think if I think what will happen is if he falls to six, they will take him. Yes. If somebody drafts ahead, you know, trades ahead and picks him, I do not see them with the first pick taking you know the next couple of quarterbacks on the list going down i think they just they they make a deal trade out for next year and try to get you know one of the elite guys coming out next year yeah i I think i think that that's the right strategy it's very early in the process now i mean it's it's february so oh yeah there's a lot can go on between now and then we have we have the combine coming up in two weekends, uh, March first through third. That weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's see what he looks like in his undies. And I say that from a professional standpoint. I don't have no any. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely editing that and keeping it as blackmail, so everybody knows. <laughs> as I profess my love for. Uh... <laughs> well, well, but no. Let's 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 look at the uh, the other guys who would be there if Haskins is gone. I mean, the number two guy. 
according to just about everybody, is Daniel Jones out of Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's a guy who is built to be a quarterback. I mean, when I say Dwayne Haskins has good size, Daniel Jones has ideal size. He's 6'5", 215 pounds. I mean, that's that's what you build in a quarterback factory. Right? Sure. Um, he He's worked under some quarterback coach that the Mannings worked under, you know, whatever. My problem with Daniel Jones is he just doesn't pass my eye test. Um, his foot, everything he does to me is just okay. And, uh, you know, his, his footwork can get a little wonky as soon as there's pressure in his face, which, you know, again, this is based on my view of tape. So when you play at Duke, there's pressure in his face on like every single play. Mm-hmm. Um, Remember who his coach is, uh, David Cutcliffe, who was – um, Eli Manning's head coach at Old Miss and Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator at Tennessee. So he does have experience, you know, working with elite level quarterbacks. I, I understand that. But at the end of the day, I'm judging the player, not his coach. So mm-hmm. when I look at Eli Manning's Old Miss tape and I look at Daniel Jones's Duke tape, I, I could be looking at you know, steak and apples. It's so different. Yeah. So. But there is a baseline of, you know, technique and things that are taught. And there's, it's not like he's coming from a, 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 you know, some division two school where he's getting terrible coaching, if anything. So, so, so here's the thing. I would say that's more of an indictment on Daniel Jones than it is praise. And, and I'll explain that. So when I say that Daniel Jones is just, does just about everything okay. His accuracy, okay. It's not bad. It's not great. It's not even inconsistent. It's consistently just okay. His mobility mm-hmm. is okay. I mean, the, the dude can run. He doesn't look like a fool doing it, but I wouldn't design <laughs> a whole package of plays for him to run. Maybe a surprise play. You know, right. his pocket presence is okay. His mechanics, okay. His his uh, arm strength is, is probably pretty good. His decision-making is pretty good. The scheme he came out of is very shotgun heavy, just means to me, okay. Um, and he's a very smart quarterback. Now, when you tell me that the guy who's just okay has had one of the best coaches versus a guy who hasn't had one of the best coaches and is just okay at all those things, that tells me that when you go to the NFL and you have NFL-level coaching, you can coach them up. There's not as much up to go from when you already have good coaching and you're just okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, but kind of like a runner that has no form running the same time as a runner who has perfect form. There's only so much more improvement. But success is also not just solely on the coach. I mean, Duke is a far worse program than Old Miss or Tennessee were. I agree. Different, uh, you know, facilities aren't nearly up to standard as like an Old Miss or Tennessee. Uh, Playing against better talent makes you better too. You know, and, and not being in such a disadvantage. You remember, you're an offensive line is probably the by far the worst of the three we've been talking about. So, you know, yes, you can kind of compare based on coaching, but that is not as important as all those other. It's just one piece of that puzzle again. I agree. Uh, I I just I think that the the and that that seems to be the main thing that I see in like headlines and little reports. And I understand because Eli Manning is the current giant current Giants quarterback that. That's going to be a comparison, but to me, it's such a, it's not that important to me. You know, when I watch on film, what I see him capable of doing 
and consistently doing is much more important to me than who's coaching him. And, you know, it's oh, definitely yeah. something I was to just, discuss, but I was just bringing it up more as a, you know, by the way, same coach, not be, Hey, listen, is that the case that every co- quarterback that David Cutcliffe has coached for the last 20 years should be in, in the NFL right now? And that's no, not the case. I understand, but it is, yeah. it's something that is consistently, if you go through Twitter, different writers are all saying the same thing. I, I don't think that Dave Gettleman gives too much of a shit about no. that. No, I really well, don't. Well, obviously don't because he drafted Kyla Lennon last year out of Richmond. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So he's not he's not that big into pedigree as, you know, someone else might be. Now, here's one other thing, Grump, we have to consider, too, is that the Giants are don't necessarily have to get their quarterback in the first round. You That's know, true. I mean, there are other quarterbacks we're probably going to talk about that mm-hmm. are not necessarily first-round talent. But guess what? The NFL is not made up of starting quarterbacks that are solely from the first round. Well, so there's there's two different things to consider. There's first-round talent and first-round val- first first value. <laughs> Um, first round talent is somebody who belongs in the first round. So if you were to construct a big board of all players, the first 32 guys, that's first round talent. The only time it's not is if it's so overloaded as a draft class that there's 50 guys who should be going in a first round. But guess what? There's only 32 spots. First round value, there's different values placed on positions. The most notably is quarterback. There is inevitably second and third round talent that gets drafted in the first round every couple of years. Sure. That goes back to that run we were talking about where people, they panic. They're going to miss out. Especially I will if, say. Let's see if a running quarterback starts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that there's somebody that I think belongs in the first round, definitely not at six, but that the Giants should consider before Daniel Jones, and that's Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. I've seen him in person three times, and uh, he's got a quick release. Mm-hmm. He has a cannon. Yes. And he's smart. I mean, he, he looked like he is the best player on the field in that game last year. That A, a total no-show game by the Gators, but you can just tell third and nine. You know, with, with, Gators had a pretty good pass rush last year. One of those type of guys where he knows when to release it is the last possible second quick release, finding guys open all over the place. Missouri has a pretty quick offense, like get the ball out as fast as possible too. So that negates a lot of the pass rush against him. But he definitely, you know, I know his numbers aren't fantastic, but just the eye test looks better than what the results actually might have been. Yeah, I'm going to agree with everything you said. I mean, Florida had more than just a good pass rush last year. They had a good defense. And yeah. uh Again, like you said, he looked smart. He had the intangibles. He just knew where to go. And it wasn't it wasn't until the end of the game by like, you know, middle of the fourth quarter where he was really carving up Florida and there were guys just running wild in the secondary. For the most part, that game was I wouldn't say dink and dunk, but just matric matriculously yeah. moving down the field. Uh, and you know, third nine gets 10 yards. You know, stuff like that. And he looked like the smartest guy on the field. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that he has what it takes to be and I hate using these comparisons because I don't want the success of the person I'm comparing them to to be, you know, 
my prediction of what their success is going to be, but he reminds me a little bit of Kirk Cousins. I can see that. Yeah. I, I mean, he is more than a game manager, but he's not, you know, he's not going to, he might occasionally throw for 450 plus yards in a game, but that's, he's not Drew Brees. He's my prediction for the guy who's going to shoot the furthest up the draft board as you get closer and closer, where, you know, we still have two months before the draft. I mean, I know the combine is about 10 days away, but there's so much time where all of a sudden, and maybe a lot of it is also, you know, the Mel Kuypers of the world and, you know, the Todd McShays who just pump out mock drafts every 10 days or so, but they get bored and they start just moving guys up. This is the guy I see who's going to make the biggest leap from mid second round is into the first round and maybe even potentially higher up in the first round. Yeah. Well, there's a quarterback like this guy every year. Yeah. Well, I mean, he came in the starting the season with high expectations, you know, Missouri, just not that good, you know, of an sec team that plays a hard schedule. They're not one of the better sec teams. So he's no. not playing with a ton of talent, but he is playing against a ton of talent. So, you know, his numbers weren't really good, but the turnaround already started, and it started for him at the Senior Bowl. In the practice, it his his name kept popping up as guy who was picking things up really quickly. Um, when when we talk about the Senior Bowl, you know, I know that a lot of people will remember who the Senior Bowl MVP is or whatever. And in this case, it was actually Daniel Jones who did well. But what's more important that the coaches rely on is the practice time. Right. How well they're able to pick up what's thrown at them in such a short time. And his name kept popping up as guys. He was impressing people. Right. You know, that is important. And that's the start of the turnaround. And I'm telling you, once the, the combine comes, if he has a good showing, he's going to really put Daniel Jones in contention for being the number two quarterback off the board. You know, where do I think he probably belongs is in maybe the 10 to 18 range, probably. But I think he might end up going in the upper end of that, where it's he could end up going in the 10 to 13 range. I think that's where he's going to end up. I think he's going to end up right around the top 10. I just think, again, you know, if you see... If you see a trade for someone to trade up to get Haskins, I think you're going to see him go higher than you thought. Because I think teams are going to think that the run on quarterbacks is starting. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the reach happens. And I'm not saying reach because he's not a talent, just, you know, quarter, teams are like, I got to get that quarterback. Speaking of reach, um, <laughs> I, th- I think it's time we discuss Kyler Murray a little bit. Sure. What's your take? Um, a couple of things. One, I think he won the Heisman Trophy because people just got sick of talking about Tua all season. I mean, I think you know, Tua was the best player in college football last year. I think, but I just think that people got you know, the season is thirteen weeks long, and I think you know they wanted a new storyline and. Kyler Murray became that storyline. You know, when you're playing in the Big 12, you're going to see quarterbacks put up crazy numbers. I mean, some of those games at the end of last year, West Virginia, Oklahoma. I mean, 
the Texas Oklahoma game. There's just thousand yards of offense. People throwing the ball all over the place. Guys open all over. Uh, it's you know the other thing that kind of worries me about Murray, Kyler Murray, is that he may go back to baseball at some point. Yeah, I think that's probably a bigger concern for me than his height and weight. I mean, we're exactly. I mean, height and weight, you can work around that. I think you can develop, you know, you'd prefer bigger stats and stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean it can't be successful in the NFL. And there are examples of smaller guys that have been successful. I just, you know, the way the athlete is today, and he's definitely of this generation where you're seeing it more and more. Kids, before they go to college, they commit, decommit, commit, decommit. Guys, more and more going into the transfer portal. One year didn't start. I'm moving on. You know, I'm 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 sitting behind the bench for somebody. I'm transferring. Now you're seeing a situation where this guy has an option for baseball on the table. And what happens if he gets drafted and doesn't start his rookie year, or is eh his rookie year? Does he decide I'm going back to baseball? That's a lot of uh, risk that I'm not sure I'm willing to take for a guy that doesn't wow me as a generational franchise quarterback. I will say uh, the eye test, he's pretty pretty darn good. Um, putting aside his height weight, um, his ability to move in the pocket is incredible. What he's able to do, first of all, he's, he's lightning fast. Absolutely lightning fast. Uh but his ability to and not not just like straight ahead speed, like it's quickness, his ability to move at the last second to avoid a sack, scramble, and then keep his eyes downfield and then throw a dart forty plus yards downfield is eye opening. And I mean, you know, sure the casual fan is like he's amazing, but you know, even critically I look at it and I'm like that is pretty close to unprecedented at his level. It just is. You don't see it often. Um, Let me ask you a question then. Yeah. How come there's no concerns about him only starting for one year? Oh, well, I I think that there are. Um, I think that, um, again, you're talking – the people who don't even know that are your casual fans. Well, Uh, I mean, Jesus, I mean – he replaced one Heisman Trophy winner with another. If nobody knows that, <laughs> that's, I, I that's, think that's honestly part of it is that, you know, saying that he wasn't able to beat out Baker Mayfield is not the same. Well, that's, I don't think it's a question of not being able to beat out. I just, you know, I just think that people who were concerned about Haskins, well, he only started one year. Does he have enough experience to really know? Same thing with, you know, applies to him as well. And nobody seems to be making that point about him. No, because I think there's larger points about him. And I don't think it's something that smart analysts are overlooking. I think it's something that of the list of concerns, it's actually not even number one. So, I mean, that's, that's actually, you know, it might look like an injustice to Dwayne Haskins, but it's actually complimenting Dwayne Haskins. There's so little to worry about him that the most damning thing is that it's a lot of risk to draft somebody that high with only one year's of experience with Kyler Murray. The number one concern for a lot of people is his height and weight. I mean, he's very short, very light. He's looking like he's 5'9", 185. Um, the number two concern I would say is he doesn't, not only does he have an offer for baseball on the table, he doesn't even seem 
very convinced that he wants to play football. He can't yeah. answer the question on interviews. He only just recently committed, quote, quote, committed, like that's even a thing, to football. To the combine. Yeah, to yeah. the combine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, this could be a Bo Jackson situation where he's the number one pick in the draft, and this—I mean, a whole different set of situa- yeah. circumstances. <laughs> why Bo didn't, you know, sign with the Bucks over this, but uh, you know, that's out there. Yeah, and I think for me, it's not necessarily that the offer for baseball is on the table. It's just his his lack of conviction. I mean, I don't think there was really much doubt that Russell Wilson wanted to play football even though he was already a baseball player. I kind of feel like, uh, I feel like he's a baseball player who's playing football where someone like uh, Russell Wilson was the opposite. If, if you take that off the table, let's just say tomorrow he convinces the world that he wants to play football first. Let's just say he lights up the combine and after getting rave reviews is 100% all in on football. You're not worried about it. There's still concern about his height and weight. And, you know, there's GMs that have said that, you know, you have to kind of change your offense for somebody that short. It's not just that he's short. It's that he's very short. Um, mm-hmm. He's like Doug Flutie short. Yeah. And, you know, he can make up for it with his ability to move, but there's always going to be a way to shut down somebody like that, and that's just by containing him in the pocket and playing discipline football, et cetera. But there, it would be it would be an intriguing backfield though with him and uh, Saquon Barkley. <laughs> I cannot I mean, argue with that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everything is a, of your situation, and you know every situation is different, and that would be electric back there. And then you have you know an Odell Beckham who you're you know throwing to. You know, could there be three a, a, a bigger trifecta of, of dynamic play than those three? It's really hard to imagine there being a more electric uh, trio of guys. I mean, mm-hmm. it's already pretty difficult to put into words Barkley and Beckham, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when when we talk about Kyler Murray, he's so much more than a runner, even though he is an incredible runner. I mean, his ability to throw downfield and accurately is, you know, it, very impressive for his level. Um if there were no concerns about baseball and you felt that you could scheme a way around his height and weight, I would say that he is without a doubt, a first round pick because of the concerns that there are, I would put him at the top of the second round, but nevertheless, I see a team should, should the baseball thing not come up very much from now until the draft. I can see a team picking him in the first round. If you are the New York football giants and you're Dave Gettleman taking a pass rusher at six, he's available with the second or whatever pick in the, uh, in the, second, in the round. second round, 34, 35, you jump on him. It's, it's really difficult to talk your way out of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's going to depend on who else fell, uh, who else is still on the board and how you view your needs. But I don't think I mean that's me talking personally if I'm the GM pulling the trigger, right? I don't think the Giants are going to do that. I don't think Dave Gettleman is going to take a guy like that. I, Dave Gettleman's draft philosophy is very much on low risk, high, you know, tape, high production. Uh big 
big guys on the offensive line, big guys in the defensive line, you know, surefire guys. This is more of a da- uh, David Reese, Jerry Reese kind <laughs> of, you know, uh, his kind of product. Mm-hmm. The guy who has the high ceiling to be the the highlight real guy, the outside in kind of philosophy. It just doesn't feel like a Dave Gettleman pick for me. So I don't see the Giants doing it. If it's me, in the scenario you're talking about, it 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 would be difficult to pass up. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I you agree. feel. It'd be very difficult to pass up. I think you're getting value at the second round. Yeah. And, you know, I don't feel as much of a risk in the second round. Like you're investing, you know, you really, really want to hit on your first round picks. Second round picks, you do too, but I think you could take a little bit more of a risk. So, Well, speaking of the second round, this is a guy that you know pretty well. I think around the time the Giants are picking in the second round, you might hear the name Will Greer float around a little bit. What's your take? Will Greer, you know, I saw him for five games mm-hmm. as a Florida Gator. He, you know, he was a redshirt freshman, had to battle Treon Harris for the first few games of that career, had really a really good second half against Tennessee, a really good first half of against Old Miss. And then was eh, the rest of the time. Granted, that was three years ago. He got busted for taking PEDs, was, depending on whose side of the story, was either asked to leave or quit, transferred out of Florida, played in, again, the same quarterback-friendly Big 12 as um, Kyler Murray, put up big numbers. Um I thought his arm strength in person back when he was at Florida seemed more impressive to me than when I saw him at West Virginia last year. I thought he was more of a product of the offense and, you know, the schemes that he's throwing against, you know, in the big 12. Um, I don't know. I always worry about guys who cheat, (laughs) I guess. I worry about, you know, prima donnas like that left a very, very bad taste in my mouth. Um, I don't know. Well, I would say that if Ben McAdoo were still the coach of the Giants, he might be the best quarterback in the draft. (laughs) If you look at what West Virginia runs, it is a gajillion slants with a couple of curls and then one or two go routes every game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it, Oh shit. I just broke something. Um, and (laughs) You know, it's it was actually difficult for me to really come up with good criticism of the guy because the, the release was so quick and they're all the same routes. They're all slants. And then, you know, playmakers are just making plays, which is what the Ben McAdoo, Mike McCarthy kind of offense really seems like. And then occasionally after running slant and slant and slant and slant, you have a go route or a slant and go. And, you know, guys are just streaking down the field. And, uh, you know... With respect to Will Greer, I thought that he was pretty accurate. His arm strength is, I would say, average to just above average. Um, he has good ability to put touch under the ball, and I think that he's really good at moving around in the pocket while 
keeping his eyes downfield, but I think he's a very yeah, he's not a runner. No, he, I, I wouldn't say he's a runner, but no, but he also, like you said, you know, he's accurate. He sixty-five point six uh, completion percentage at Florida, sixty-five point seven at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you kind of are what you are in, in the. Uh, you can't teach accuracy. You kind of are what you are, and he's a you know a pretty accurate quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think that his footwork is pretty good. I, I think really what worries me is I don't know how he would translate out of that Ben McAdoo style offense because he did not run the same kind of thing in Florida and was not as good. I mean, granted he was younger. I think that Florida team wasn't as good. Um, they had a t- again, it was a very small sample size. Again, he, the best game he played against that first half against old miss. And that at the time was a top five team and he looked really, really good in that. But that was a team that had a very, very bad offensive line. And, you know, didn't you know afford these quarterbacks, either him or Sharon Harris, any time at all to throw. I, uh, I just don't know how he'll translate. But I think if the right team picks him and puts him in the right offense, I think he actually could be pretty successful in the NFL. Whereas, you know, before I really truly watched the tape, I did not think so at all. Um, I'm not sure that the Giants are their team for him. Uh, but again, it's it's gonna depend on what they think they're able to teach him and how he'll be able to translate that. But you know, he's got a very quick release. He's got he's very good at pre reads and you know reading guys. He's good at moving around in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield. He's got nice touch. He can throw the long ball if needed. His accuracy is a little inconsistent downfield, but you know what? I, he reminds me of someone who could be like a Ryan Tannehill. Sure. Maybe like a Chase Daniel type of guy in the league who I think will always have a job in the league as a good backup. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be like an elite level quarterback in the league. I think he might get that stigma if he starts off really strong, but. Mm-hmm. But I think he's someone that will always get a, have a, a potentially a 10 year career as a type of a, like, as like a Case Keenum type of guy. Sure. You know who's a who's a capable backup who may have a, a run of like three or four games as a backup gets a contract somewhere to start and is kind of uh, you know but he kind of reminds 11 me of years Ryan from now, still in the league. Could be, you yeah. Know, just just the way he runs around like a wild man sometimes. You know, he just does enough. He makes it look really good, even though it's just average. Right. Um. At the beginning of the NCAA year, there were two guys that I was ready to really watch and uh, see how they would improve, and I thought that they could climb. Instead, they fell, and that was uh, Jarrett Stidham, looked just terrible, and Clayton Thorson from Northwestern, who looked probably even worse. But one guy actually did climb that wasn't even on my radar, and that was NC State quarterback Ryan Finley. Um, you know... They were one of the best teams on third down for for a while. Um, and I think that he possesses a lot of the tools to be somebody that you may not think good value in the second and third round. You know, I don't think he'll fall to the third round. I don't think he should fall to the third round. But uh, I think that he's a much closer to a game manager, but very good decision-making accurate passer um 
makes good decisions. He just, you know, he just doesn't have the arm strength. He's he's the guy who wasn't born with the tools that makes it work. It really makes you wonder why NC State isn't better in the ACC with all the talent they've had come out in the NFL in the last couple of years, like defensive side of the ball. Now, you know, having a, you know, a potential NFL quality quarterback in Finley. Well, I don't think um, they were bad. They were in the top 25 for a decent portion of the year. I think the ACC is just pretty good recently. Yeah, the ECC sucks right now. I mean, I mean, it's kind of you know, it's Clemson's on a whole nother universe than the rest of the the uh, the conference. But you know, and I don't want to have this be just ACC, but you know, it's uh, you know, schools have underachieved, like the Florida States and Miamis and the Virginia Techs. And well, two years ago, Miami was definitely something. Yeah, but they're you know, very bad. Florida State's very bad. North Carolina, pretty bad. I mean, on the west, on the, on the other, the other side of Clemson, I think Pitt made it, and they were barely, hmm. you know, in, in November they were fighting to be bowl eligible. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Yeah. I mean, I I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, that's something that uh, yeah, just our buddy this, just, could probably tell us. But you know, just because yeah. they're churning out elite level talent a year at a time. You know, yeah, it doesn't really make a team. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Chubb, B.J. Hill, um, even Ryan Finley. Now, mm-hmm. it's not a complete team. I mean, they might be able to recruit one guy a year that's an absolute monster. But you're talking about Stinham before. You know, he was a guy that Florida was looking at when he was a grad transfer, and we were in the sweepstakes. Um, uh, Jim McElwain couldn't sell the deal with him. He ended up going to Auburn and Auburn is just a, it's such an up and down school mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of their coach. Uh, a little shady of a school, you know, some, like, they're one of the things like every third year seems like they're knocking off Bam and going to the SEC championship game. And then the other two years coaches on the hot seat. Yeah. The so I, years, they're, they're asking for pesos. Exactly. So, you know, their recruiting is always very spotty. So I'm not sure he's exactly surrounded right now by the best talent Auburn's had in the last decade or so. Um, I thought he had more of an arm than what I expected to see and then what he actually was. So I think, again, another one of those guys I think you'll find on a roster somewhere. Sure. No. Again, is the NFL starting quality? I don't think so. But. Another guy you'll you'll see on a, with a clipboard or you know in the league for a little bit. Yeah, I I just I was ready to see him take the next step this year, and instead he completely fell backwards down the staircase. Yeah. Um. And, and same thing with Clayton Thorson. You know, obviously playing with some horrible talent at Northwestern. Um, well, they were ranked this year, though. Yes, but I mean, first, if, you, first if you watch his tape, there's a whole lot of balls bouncing off of hands. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I don't like to see on tape is balls bouncing off of hands. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you know, but the story is so much more than that. I mean, he just his footwork is all wrong. Some, he throws a lot of fadeaways instead of stepping into throws. Oh um, no, that's not going to work in the NFL. Yeah, that's no. for sure. And, and you know, I don't know why, but he was asked to run at times, and he looks like a lummox. It's just. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just, you know, I, I thought that a lot of his problems last year were due to talent, and I thought that if he improved his tape, I could see him really making a case and maybe even improving the team a little bit with some of his play. And instead, again, I, I think he took a couple of steps backwards. He didn't look nearly as fluid as I expected him to look. And, you know, I've pretty much at this point written him up. But I would say that Ryan Finley would not be a write-off. I, I think that he is better than a lot of people are giving him credit for. But now we're, we're dipping lower and lower into the pool where, yep. going back to where the Giants are, do, are they looking to draft another ceiling floor guy as, as an Alex Tanny. I'm sorry, as a um, Kyle Oletta. I mean, I would I mean, think not. I would think yeah. not. I think they're either going to look at the top of the pool or, again, what I believe is they're going to wait till 2020. So I really think that the drop-off for what the Giants are going to have a potential maybe franchise guy would be Will Greer would be the last stop. Um, and, and it's like you said, it is a lot like, um, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's pretty much all the quarterback tape I was able to watch. Um, I, I didn't really dive deep beyond that because the giants are just not in the situation to waste draft picks on guys that aren't going to seriously compete for playing time. Yeah, I don't think they're looking for projects. Like they're they're not going to try to draft another low letter where we're going to take two three years and develop them. I think if they're going to they're going to draft a quarterback, they want to draft somebody that it's the the skill set and the you know and the readiness that they can take over at some point, if not in 2020, at some point in 2019. So they're not looking for a project; they're looking for a starter. Yeah, and we will definitely. I this is our first you know, position recap. It's very, very early on in the process. Just so everybody knows, we're, we're going to do the the draft day preview. We're going to revisit a lot of these topics. Um, and this one, especially, we will probably even revisit after the combine or something like that. Um, a lot can happen in this time. So if you're listening and you hate everything we just said, um, that it's not set in stone. There's a lot that can be made or broken. I mean, Kyler Murray could completely drop off the face of the earth and that will push other guys up, you know, what trade can happen. Sure. You know, I mean, right now we're, we're, we're assuming that we think something's going to happen when there's going to be a trade. It hasn't happened yet, but you know, if a Jacksonville jumps ahead of us or, you know, or if we trade te- back, that's a possibility there's, too. There's nothing saying that, Gettleman won't trade back before the draft. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really unlikely, but it could happen. Someone makes him an offer he can't refuse. I mean, didn't the year that Philly draft um, Carson Wentz, didn't they make two trades to move up? A trade about now and then another one much closer to the draft Sam to get in position? Sam Bradford, I think, was part of that, right? I think, th- I think they made a pick to get from, like, 25 to, like, 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm paraphrasing this, but then they made the big leap on a second trade. Yeah, from like 16 to 2 or something like that or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe you're right. I think there were two trades that happened in that offseason. And, you know, that was all due to advanced work done by scouting departments, the combine, and it just mm-hmm. – they determined a guy that they just could not let go. And that could right. happen here, whether the Giants do it or somebody else does it. So – 
just because this episode was made does not mean that these opinions are final. Yeah. So. And uh, again, if you don't already follow me on Twitter, I don't even know how you found this podcast, but um, (laughs) I will be going through a lot more detail on these guys. Maybe if I can find the time between having a real job and life, uh, put some little (laughs) clips to these, these theories are not, you know, pulled out completely out of my ass. Uh, I'll post some clips illustrating the things that I'm saying. Hey, we're also looking for interns. If anybody wants to do the dirty work for us, we'd love to have you. We're not going to pay you anything because we have no sponsors, but if you want to edit this podcast, I'd love that. You want to join the just giants podcast and the cranky fan podcast network, please, by all means. Yeah. All applicants. (laughs) Even all if applicants, not a cocktail napkin. All applicants accepted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at, at football underscore grump. Catch me as always at the cranky fan. It's a lot to talk about now. So get in the conversation. Yeah. And um, I'll also be covering the uh, the AAF on weekends. <laughs> That's right. Our 2-0. and Let's bring this back to where we started. The Orlando Apollos two and zero. That's right. Heading their their way towards the uh, the AAF championship, which still does not have a name or a sponsor either. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's presented by Just Giants. You'll oh, never know. There you go. Affiliates. <laughs> All right, everyone. Go, go Giants. Giants.